It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, along with my co-host, the interim title to my Francis Ngannou, Nick Braccia. Nick, it is good to be on with you for the first time. In a couple of weeks, we missed an episode. We couldn't get together last week, but it's good yeah, to be on with you. Yeah, but, I mean, nobody wanted to hear about that card. <laughs> the card was not good. We spared everyone. I actually thought it was pretty entertaining, but I agree. It wasn't full of names. It wasn't exactly the UFC's best offering. Uh, so, so unfortunately, yeah, like here's the funny thing, Nick, over the weekend, both the UFC and Bellator put on fight cards. The UFC put on one of their weaker cards. Like we were just talking about of the year, probably when it comes to name value, Bellator put on one of their biggest cards of the year with a featherweight title and tournament finale headlined by their champ champ, Patricio Pitbull, by the way, a man who has a knockout win over, uh, Michael Chandler fairly recently, right? Defending his title against the undefeated AJ McKee. AJ McKee's got bravado. He's exciting as hell, finishes everybody. So like their biggest really card, if you look at it, right? The UFC with one of their weakest cards ended up scoring just under 1 million views in the main event. Bellator with one of their biggest cards ended up with maxing out, maxing out at around 80,000 views. Now, granted, so eight, I know there's... Eight, yeah, 8%. But those guys as talented as, as AJ and uh, Pitbull are, it's not... You know, it's not it's not like a Bellator card that's got Fedor or even Machida uh, or, you know, a UFC, a UFC star with those optics um, on it. And I got to believe that, though, I don't know how it stacked up against other Bellator cards. Um, I was very interested to see that fight, the main event. But I was excited you know, for where, it. Where Bellator, where Bellator has had success and that's I mean, I use success in quotes. It's always been like, you know, oh, like over the hill stars that have tri- that um have built their name in the UFC. There's not a lot of homegrown right. stars. You're right. And maybe they would have gotten a few more views, but what, like 30, 40,000 more views? Like, I don't know that it would have been much higher. It's just not on people's radar. It's on Showtime. Well, it's not on people's Limited, guess the big, I mean, it, it being on Showtime is, it being on Showtime is uh, an enormous issue, especially seeing as that, um, I believe Hall Strickland was on straight up ESPN, right? Not, not just plus. Uh, um, I, I, I'm actually not sure about that. I, I would I would tend to think it's ESPN Plus since it was just I think one I'm file reading the US, the I think it says U.S. Broadcast ESPN. So I don't know if it usually does that on Topology. Let me see how it. I'm pretty uh, sure it would uh, say that for any. Uh, I think the prior week was ESPN Plus. So maybe that's a fair point. Check if that says anything different. But here's the thing. Um, I watched the Bellator card and it was pretty good. Right. I think it's unfortunate. Also the, it also says ESPN. I think it's unfortunate that they're getting less views than C-SPAN during like a congressional budgetary meeting, right? So I think the number one, number two promotion to mixed martial arts should be a hell of a lot closer than having like eight to 10% of the viewership of the number one promotion, right? So I've decided that we're going to use our unparalleled power, Nick. We're going to start occasionally, sometimes almost discussing Bellator a little bit. I think you and I, Nick, if we put our mind to it, we can double Bellator's ratings by the end of this year. Just with our listenership alone, we can make a difference, Nick. Either that or we're going to lose the majority of our listenership because of their lack of interest in Bellator, which might backfire on us. It's one of the be. I think it's going to be good for us. And the first sign I have is I just got a text from Scott Coker uh, with a link to it that's offering me 100 free tickets for Dave and Busters. Did he hear us live, Nick? I didn't realize we were feeding this live. That's great. Oh, yeah. No, Scott Scott Coker's got ways. 
Scott Coker, like, I don't know why you got to text Nick Braccia. You can text me. I could have gotten this done already. It would have been done right now. We wouldn't have been talking about it. But it's all right, Scott Coker. You've made your choice. We'll see how this works out for you. I'm done with Bellator, Nick. He texted <laughs> you and not me. What the fuck? You're on the, no, you're on the text. He just he used your old last name. And he spelled Nick, it right. I, I am the A-side. <laughs> the A-side of this matchup, Nikolai. <laughs> I'm the freak fight. so nick uh let's quickly go over we actually um didn't get to cover the card from last week as far as previewing it for our listeners but we can quickly discuss strickland versus hall um basically sean strickland's being extremely busy and uriah hall being extremely timid sean strickland pressuring forward and uriah hall enjoying his back to the fence i mean it was pretty predictable matchup to me there's uh uh-huh there's a there's a very, very simple thing here. And you, as a martial artist who is trained with and suffered the jab of Uriah Hall. Why well, I got to call uh, it suffered. He landed a few jabs on me. I landed more right hands and left hooks on him. All right. Don't don't give me no suffer bullshit. But go on. Stan suffered serious injuries at the hands <laughs> of Uriah Hall. But there was I, Uriah Hall is not a tremendous traditional boxer. Sean Strickland is. He's got really great boxing fundamentals. He's fast. He's got good feints. Um, he's got enough power to to keep guys concerned. Um, he's a very, very good boxer. Uriah Hall is a good kickboxer. You know what he didn't do in that fight? Throw fucking kicks. He threw he so didn't few throw kicks. a goddamn thing, but you're right about the kicks. And I don't know why he... Why did he go into that fight? I'll tell you why. Trying you to, why. I want you to tell me because he straight up boxed a guy that we knew was going to outbox him. I was waiting for all kinds of flying shit and spinning shit and just fucking kicks. I thought Uriah Hall was going to bring kicks to the party. He did not. I don't know why you thought suddenly Uriah Hall was going to be like an aggressive offensive fighter in this fight, but no other in like the last five years. Here's the thing about your eye hall, right? And this goes for any ex- effective kicker. The way to beat them is very simple. And to me, the first example that I saw of this was Fedor against uh, Krokop. Years and years ago, this was a huge fight in pride between two of clearly the best heavyweights on the planet uh, who beat everybody else. And the big question was who would win between the GOAT at the time, Fedor, and this man who just seems unstoppable in Krokop. And Fedor did a simple thing. He pressured the kicker. If you are making the kicker back up, he can't plant his feet in order to fire those kicks at you, right? It's a very simple thing. And here's the worst thing about Hall. Hall is easier to pressure. Hall will back himself up against the fence. He does it all the time. And he just made that easy for Sean Strickland. The style matchup really favored him. Uh, I thought that the line was right where it should have been. I think Sean Strickland was something like a two-to-one favorite. I thought that made perfect sense. Yeah, I thought so, but I thought Hall, I just, I don't know. I, I guess, I don't know what I was expecting. Hall is timid. He's not young anymore. He's always had confidence issues. There was actually a lot of talk between these two fighters about like Strickland was like, look, I go hard in sparring, but I make it clear to my opponent, I'm going to go hard. Like we're like, if you're cool with this, let's go. Your eye Hall is the type to be like really, really nice to you and really kind to you. And then when you're sparring, just wallop you with everything he has. Um, spot the fuck on, dude. That's exactly how it is. Both guys are known for going too hard in the gym, but they have very different takes on it. Um, and, and I, I experienced that with, with your eye hall where I'm sparring 
fairly controlled. I was an idiot and didn't bring my mouth guard that day. And he's just popping me with full power jabs. And he's got a serious fucking jab. The man has maybe the best jab in MMA, not necessarily in his, in his uh, when he uses it, but just the just the snap, the speed, the accuracy when he does throw it. He just doesn't throw it, Nick. He is timid. He deserved to lose that fight. Sean Strickland is a fucking character. I I don't love his opinion on almost anything, but I think oh, he's yeah, he sounds like he sounds like a moron, but. Uh... He's Total a pretty good moron. fighter, though. He's, you know what, though, yes. I like, you know what, he's gonna be, he's gonna be the face, the baby face in his next fight, because they want him. They've offered um, Strickland to Luke Rockhold, and I, one oh, number I one, I think, I, I, it's funny, as despicable as Sean Strickland is, I'll still root for him against Luke Rockhold. I think and, I too, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I also, you know, I think I'm gonna pick him to win that, win that fight. But also going back to Fedor Krokop in that moment for Krokop, I, I couldn't believe you didn't say it, so I'm gonna have to get in and, and say it, which is. Right leg hospital, left leg cemetery. Yeah, that night it was it was Krokop spending the night in the hospital with his. I know, right but leg. but come on, what's a better yeah, what's, what's a better set? What's a better soundbite from Pride Era MMA than right oh, leg hospital, left leg cemetery? Yeah, absolutely. That, that is that, that yeah, that's and he's I mean Krokop, you know, I'm sure he was juiced to the gills, but I also think Krokop seems like a cool guy. Yeah, he seems like a reasonable dude. He's uh, Ariel Hawani is probably the best man to interview him because he does a long form and he kind of loosens him up in the first five minutes. And then Krokop just you you learn all these things about him that you never imagined. It's fascinating. I encourage you all to listen to the MMA hour from years ago when Ariel had him on once or twice. He really is able to tap into him, even though I know Ariel has his has his issues. But um, yeah, he seems hyper. Krokop's always seemed hyper intelligent, and he always I felt like he always treated his opponents with a great deal of respect. Yeah, always measured, right? Like he had this uh, Eastern European uh, Croatian accent. Uh, yes, uh, left leg hospital, right leg cemetery, or the other That's way around, it. whatever it was. Uh, but, but I yeah, also think, like like Fedor, I think he I, I think he identifies as a sportsman. You know, it's like there's something about there's something about yeah, uh, I heard that. except for the steroids. Yes, well, right. Right, except for the um, I, I will, which to be fair, everybody in Pride used to like literally everybody. I would I would argue that there's a decent chance that close to fifty percent of fighters, maybe more than that, maybe much more than that, are still using steroids now or performance enhancing drugs. It's just as long as you know the right well, guy, you can Pride, do you think Letty, do you think Letty Hart was using? Uh Letty Hart's that who voice does our, you think she'd have who to does our intro? I don't think she, she did. She doesn't. She was our next gig right after Pride. We actually, uh, we actually uh, took her in. We barely interviewed her. We were like, "You are a part of the MMA Geeks Sea Level Podcast family, Nick." And and she forever has the fact that she records uh, that intro for us every single week, Nick, uh, live. Yeah, Lenny right? Hart is awesome. Yeah. She is. Uh, she she is great. Yeah, I I've always loved Lenny Hart's intros. But anyway, let's let's get back to what's in front of us. Let's quickly touch Nick on the the card prior to last week's. Right, we never really got a chance to go over that one because we weren't able to record an episode last week. Nick, let's talk about UFC Fight Night, Dillashaw versus Corey Sanhagen. This was a solid goddamn card of the last three cards by far. This is the best one, right? TJ Had a bunch Dillashaw, of great great Sanhagen. fights, bullshit decisions, but you know, great fights. Yeah, there were there were some close decisions that that uh, could have gone the other way. Um, the Sanhagen Dillashaw matchup. Talk to me, buddy. What are your thoughts? It's one of those tough things because emotionally, we all wanted Sanhagen to win, and he certainly did a lot of damage. And he landed terrific uh, knees, spitting back fists and 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 punches, maybe even a, a big elbow in that second round, which wasn't a ten eight, but was a was a pretty a pretty clear shellacking for a 10-9. Uh, 
Um, but aside from that, he, you know, like it's, it's, I could see him me like some of those rounds were just razor thin where he was doing, he was doing more damage, but TJ was, was pushing the pace, whatever the, you know, whatever, whatever that counts for was landing takedowns. Um, and TJ was way, was more durable than I thought he would be. Cause he ate as big a knee as put out Frankie Edgar. Um, I think maybe he wasn't moving into it quite as, uh, quickly as Frankie was, but it's, <clears throat> It's hard for me to contest that victory. Like I, I scored it for Sanhagen at the time. In retrospect, I think that was a little bit of wishful thinking. I think I think that I think Dillashaw drove the you know at least drove three of three of the five rounds, um, even though uh, Sanhagen did a lot of damage in the second and considerably more damage in the other rounds. I'm not not considerably more damage in the other rounds, but rather a little bit more damage in the other rounds. He just was yeah, on the def- he was on he was on the defensive for too much of the fight. Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's it's hard to argue that this was a robbery. I think it was a competitive it's fight. Certainly, right. It's certainly not a robbery. Like, Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I, I thought Sanhagen would have the edge based on damage. I always value damage uh, more than con- purely control, right? Especially if it doesn't come with a whole lot of damage. But TJ had top control in every one of the five rounds. Uh, round one, he had over tw- about two and a half minutes of top control. Round three, he had two minutes of top control, right? And on top of that, in round three and in round five, he outstruck Corey Sanhagen in the same round five where he had a minute of top control. So I shouldn't say top control. It might be clinch control. I'm sorry. Control is what I'm looking at here. But the the point is that this was competitive, right? That third and fifth round, I thought, went to TJ Dillashaw. Um, It was the... The first round with Tijit Dillashaw spending a whole lot of time on t- in top position, right? Him landing uh, a takedown in that round. And then uh, the fourth round, which was relatively close with Sanhagen walk- walking away with seven more strikes landed with TJ, I should say significant strikes. TJ actually landed more strikes, uh, if you count total strikes, in that fourth round, right? And TJ had a minute and 41 of control. So I think given that situation, you kind of got to, you, you see where they're coming from. I favor damage. I get Get where the judges are coming from on that. I'm not terribly angry about that one, but there is one uh, fight, and we don't have to really get into this very much. But there is one fight on that card that probably should have gone the other way, and I thought that was pretty clear, uh, even though it was one of your picks. And that was the matchup between Macy Barber and Miranda Maverick. Uh, Macy Barber did not do enough in that second round to earn it. She won that third round, like she did against Grosso in her last fight. She clearly lost the first round. That second round, like Macy Barber had some moments in the last minute or so, but Miranda Maverick controlled the first like three, three and a half minutes of that fight, of uh, that round, excuse me. So Miranda Maverick should have walked away with a 29 yeah. 28, in my opinion. Yeah, and I thought Kyler Phillips should have got, at least had a draw, if not a win, but it is it is what it is. The, yeah, and Kyler I, Phillips, I don't disagree with you. He could have had a draw, but he lost two of three rounds in a three round fight. Granted, round two was close, but I mean, like that's going to be the risk, right? It, you you can't say this should have been a draw. You can make the argument I should have won if that's the case, but it's not. Like it's going to have to go to someone. It could have gone to no one. It went to I mean, my, there's a, Yeah, I don't know. If there's a clear 10-8 maybe, but um, one thing we so have what, seen with with Kyler Phillips by the way is that he does slow down over the course of the fight. His footwork costs him a lot of car 
cardio. A lot of his kicks are are very high output, energy output strikes, right? Um, even the way he throws punches where he covers distance and he's fairly explosive, even though he's not extremely fast. Um, I think all of those factors are are, are well, going to be an issue. He throws all power of- shots. I mean, Jack, Jack Slack <laughs> joke joke the next day on Twitter. Nobody nobody tell Kyler Phillips about the jab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he seems so slick, right? In in so many ways, but for some reason, the the just basic fundamental of a jab somehow has eluded him. So yeah, I, I would love to see him uh, work on that and improve on that. Uh, glad to see Julian Paiva getting that win. It's a shame for Kyler Phillips, but at least it was an extremely close fight. Uh, Nikolai, quickly, I want to touch on this uh, AJ McKee individual. Like eighteen and zero, Nick spent I think his entire career in Bellator. Wait, yeah. Yeah, Bellator 18 and 0. He's 26 years old. It's you know Bellator record, whatever. But you can't. I mean, you certainly can't discount what he did on Saturday night, um, which was complete was completely dominate and kind of clown. Um, arguably the best Bellator grown fighter um, in history. Nick, so Nick, in, in his last five fights, he's beaten the best that Bellator has to offer at his weight division. Patricio Bibble is by far the best Baltimore fighter of all time. Came an, off a knockout off yeah, Michael Chandler, who talked himself into contention. Right, yeah. right. But Darian Caldwell's a good fighter, man. He was 14 and 3 going into that one. Derek Campos. He's a pretty solid Bellator guy, not a high-level guy. I get it. Jory Car- Georgie Karahanian, who he fucking submitted with a left hook and ground and pound in like eight seconds, right? Georgie Karahanian is a legit guy. He's a really, really stern test for anybody. Pat Coran, he beat before that. So he has some legitimate – he has Justin Lawrence uh, beat him a couple of years ago. He's a decent fighter. Like he has faced the best competition he can, I think, outside of UFC. And, yep. dude, he's finishing motherfuckers. He's running through people. That's yeah. incredibly impressive. No, he's must see. I mean, he's must see TV now. What he did, what he did to um, Patricio was, I mean, just took it to him right away. Landed a huge head kick, stunned him. He essentially finished him twice. I mean, he could have. He had. I mean, he had. The, he had, there was the head kick, and then he landed. I mean, he did. He had essentially three fatalities in the same fight. He had this brutal head kick. He landed a hellacious uppercut, and then after prematurely celebrating. Like it was nothing, <laughs> just just threw on a just threw on a, a carotid artery, uh, you know, make him unconscious, like standing guillotine. Like, I mean, he's got it. He would be, you know, he would be in the he would be in the top five of the lightweight scene or the featherweight scene and potentially the lightweight scene in the UFC immediately. I think he's um, actually. Uh, so, oh, this is at one forty five actually. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, look, look, given his height, his speed. Like, did you see the speed of that flurry, Nick, after he hurt him with the head kick? That was fucking unbelievable, man. Like that yeah. in slow and motion. The accuracy, that, that, yeah, that um that uppercut was that yeah, uppercut man. was gnarly. His um, father, yeah, Antonio yeah. McKee. Uh, like, I don't know if you remember him, Nick. He like oh, yeah, wasn't able to get into the UFC for a good portion of his career until he was like 40 years old or something because he was just smothering people with his wrestling and they couldn't do anything about it. And he would just hold people down and win decisions. And he just like turned his son, who he didn't want to be a fighter given his own experiences, money troubles and, and all that. He's turned his son into an absolute monster, man. The kid is talented. He's confident. He's brash. Like, he's a character. Like, I'm excited about this kid. I think it's a shame that he's already basically run through Bellator, and and we're all, we're all like, talking about him going to the UFC, despite the fact that only 80,000 motherfucking people saw him get the absolute biggest win of his career next. So it's a shame there. But let's you and I take a break. We got to come back. We got to cover UFC 264, Lewis versus Gone, as we get into our MMA Geeks draft. Nikolai, you ready for this shit, man? 
it's a tough card to pick and there's some weird odds but yeah i think i i got to come back after that really bad showing uh where i lost some points even though according to mma decisions i should have picked up four points you definitely shouldn't have picked up four points mma decisions says that you should have like tied with me or something don't be silly nick come on let's not stop four. This. Uh, i do i nine, do wish you nine, good luck though and nine points all right, whatever feels good. I do wish you good luck, though, and and I hope that you can finally break through and have that performance uh, that uh, AJ McKee was able to pull off against, you know, the goat of Bellator. I think that was impressive, and, yeah. and I hope that I'm inspires. looking. I'm looking at some of the people that his father fought. It's crazy. Ed, Edwin Duiz, Toby Amata, Marcus Aurelio, Caro Parisian, Akbar Ariola. These names, yeah. man. Carlo Prater, Jacob Volkman. He fought, and and one of his last losses was to was to Shinya Aoki. Uh, yeah, he, ta- he, t- uh, he tapped yeah. two to strikes. And, and can I just say he like he beat almost every one of those people except for Jacob Volkman, who he lost the split decision to, and Aoki. He beat almost every one of those other people that you mentioned. Like he, oh yeah, has, he had thir- he had a thirty and a thirty six and two career record. Yeah, and that and that was like at forty. I mean, I don't know. He was old. Right now, he is fifty one. Actually, he bought he yeah. beat Ray Cooper. Also, I wonder if if they'll That's do. That's impressive. Uh, I wonder if they'll do Ray if they'll do Ray Cooper three Ray Cooper the third against. Uh, Wait, uh, is that is that that Ray Cooper's son? Yeah, yeah. You I didn't know that. Realize that the problem is that it's. Uh, I hope they do it, and I know Scott Corker is op- open to uh, cross promotions. But uh, that that Ray Cooper the third fellow, as far as I know, he fights in the PFL. He does fight in PFL because that's where he beat. Uh, um, that's where he beat Jake Shields. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm really glad AJ McKee is on Dana White's radar, like whether Dana admits it or not. Like, I really do look forward to him uh, coming to the UFC when he's still in his 20s. I think he's 26 years old, and that kid's got crazy accomplishments. Just, just won a million dollars, motherfucker. Let's take a break, come back, break down to UFC 265. Back on the MMA Geek C-Level Podcast, and Nikolai and I, we're going to get into the MMA Geeks draft, Nick, where we each take turns picking fighters in the upcoming card. Whoever ends up with uh, more winning fighters ends up walking away with uh, with hopefully an edge in the total score. We are my 79 to your 72.5. Jesus. All right. Well, I'll have to pick it up. Nikolai, I believe you have the first pick. Me at six and a half points ahead. I'm feeling good about that, Nikolai. Talk to me. Oh boy, there's um, there's so many interesting things here, but I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna wild out. I'm gonna go crazy. I'm gonna go with my gut. I think over three rounds, the Jose Aldo's reach and accuracy um, is good enough to beat Pedro Munoz. I think Aldo can win a three round fight against Munoz. Okay, interesting. So. It, this one is interesting to me for a lot of reasons, right? Each guy is going into this matchup off of a win after a losing streak. Pedro lost to Aljamain Sterling and a questionable decision to Frankie Edgar. Aldo lost to Alex Volkanovsky, Marlon Moraes, and Piotr Yan. So the losses are either to like absolute elite competition or controversial. Aldo is exceptional early in a fight while his gas tank is at 100%. Munoz can start slow, but Munoz's output will make this a high-paced fight. Their accuracy is at about... 45% a piece, right? Maybe Munoz slightly less accurate. They both absorb slightly more than they land in their UFC careers, which is kind of surprising about Aldo. But lately, Aldo's been taking a lot of punishment from those uh, three guys I mentioned. Aldo can do well when his opponents don't pressure from the start. 
but because he can kind of get his game going, do some damage, and then when the pressure begins, his opponent's already kind of hurt and and possibly ready to be taken out of there. Munoz will pressure from pretty early on, right? He has landed two to three times more strikes in his last few three-round fights than Aldo has, like significantly higher output, right? He will make Aldo work hard from the first minute to the last. This will tire Aldo, but how soon is what will decide this fight, right? This is a five-round yeah. Yeah. If there's a five rounder, I'd pick Munoz. And a three rounder, yep. I think I think Jose Aldo can win one and is gonna is gonna clearly win one and one and two thirds rounds of this fight. I know. I, I can definitely see that happening. Um, but let's not forget Aldo Aldo owned Cheeto Vera in the third round of their fight. I mean, it was via a body lock, but it's not like that. Ta- it's not like that takes no difference. energy. Here's the big difference. It was a low paced fight. Aldo was able to make it a low ice, low pace fight by getting that third round um, takedown, right? But even even in that second round, Vera usually doesn't yeah. get the pressure going right away. He takes I, about a round, round and a half. That's a big difference. I, made. I also Aldo think Aldo was able I to mean, establish himself early. Yeah, I also think I think Aldo is is the more accurate striker, and Munoz is prone to head hunting. And that I think True. I think Aldo, I, I think Aldo keeps his cool, and that his precision is going to take some of the wind out of Munoz early. I see. I could see Aldo um, have. I think Aldo's going to have a really good first two or three minutes of this fight, and if he brings leg kicks to the party again, especially for the first or second round, um, I think we can. I think we'll see Munoz playing catch up, and I don't think he's going to have quite enough. I think this is a close fight. It's wild that it's my first, but it's. I also have um, the. I have. I have conviction about the outcome, even though I think it's. I that, that doesn't mean I don't think it's a close fight. No, I definitely hear that. Um, but I'm there with you. Even if in a, I'm actually disagreeing with you. Even in a three rounder, I favor Munoz, who doesn't have the best defense, but his chin is fucking unbelievable, right? He's worked on his speed and conditioning. That's looked better lately, and he's like five rounds ready, whereas Aldo is like around and three quarters ready, which makes him a, a tough out. I think for any top level fighter, I think he tires Aldo with his pressure by the end of the first round and starts to take over until he looks really good in that third round. Could be a close decision, but I'm favoring uh, Munoz here. Also, speaking of leg kicks, Munoz's calf kicks, they're going to be consistent. They're absolutely going to be thrown. And Aldo, I wonder how he's going to defend that. I'm very curious how that dynamic is going to play out. What do you got? My first pick is going to be, I'm going to go with the Bobby Green, Rafael Fiziev matchup. Fiziev is, yeah, like I, 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 think the, I think the odds to, are, I think the odds are way off on this fight. Maybe they are because Bobby Green tends to fight to competitive decisions, right? But he tends to lose competitive decisions, even when like he seems to sometimes clearly have the edge in a competitive decision. doesn't even need to be super close. He tends to lose those fights, man. Um, Fiziev is extremely powerful. He's super explosive. He has condition like out of his gills. It's actually kind of unbelievable. Um, pressures with fakes and hard low kicks, counters with big hard combos, switches stances constantly. Um, he actually had the same striking coach coming up as Valentina Shevchenko since they're both from Kyrgyzstan. Uh, he also likes to mix in the occasional takedown, right? Especially once he establishes uh, t- establishes uh, dominance, essentially. He does slow a little bit in the third round, but he like keeps going 100% even though he's more fatigued. And there's a mental aspect to that. I've spoken about this before where you can be exhausted, but you could still just focus and try really fucking hard. And you could put out the same speed and the same output almost as you did in the first round. Your opponent doesn't have to gain confidence seeing you tired. It makes a big fucking difference. Uh, Bobby Green is slick, but he doesn't have the output, I think, 
in this kind of matchup. Like, what about, strikes, what about his what about his wrestling though? What do you how do you feel about Fiziev's takedown defense? Because that's if there's a path for Green here to win a split decision, it's I don't know what happens to Fiziev on his back. Fiziev I mean, is extremely and Bobby explosive. Green's a good wrestler. Uh, yeah, he's, he's a pretty good wrestler. I agree, especially defensively. Bobby Green's fantastic. Uh, Bobby Green, like, will he go for takedowns? I'm not sure. Fiziev has extreme. He's like he's like a really like a powerhouse. He's all muscle. He's super explosive, right? And like his hips, the way he thrusts them down uh, in in kind of defense of a takedown. Like I don't see Bobby Green having a whole lot of luck with that. Maybe initiating a takedown into the clinch where he can pitter patter. But that's the thing is that when they're landing strikes, Fiziev is going to land bombs. Bobby Green is going to pitter patter. Like I said, could be a competitive decision. I could see the judges swaying the opposite direction and making up for Bobby Green's career long of losing competitive decisions. But I'm a big believer in Fiziev as a prospect. I think he's something special. And the one time we saw him lose, he's 9-1 now, I believe, 3-1 of the UFC. The one time we saw him lose was in his UFC debut where just like an out of nowhere in the first 30 seconds, a spinning heel kick got him right in the in the head. And he didn't go out. He just went down, and and the guy landed some ground and pound, and, and the referee stopped it, right? Like, Bobby Green doesn't have that kind of horsepower. And so I, I don't like his chances in a three-round here. Maybe a five-rounder, but not in a three. Yeah, I think I mean this is that's what I'm looking forward to for sure. Um, I think that's a you know that's a that's a that's a fight fans fight. Um, hoof. I'm gonna go with the main event next, and God, this is a this is a weird one. You're picking um, the main event already. Go for it, buddy. Well, I mean, you got is Gon's the biggest favorite on the card. Um, he is, huh? Okay. But I, yeah, it, minus, well. it minus 400, but I don't know, you know, I don't know if I agree with those odds. The thing is, I'd feel, I'd feel more comfortable if, you know, if Khan was, was a super serious wrestler and maybe he can get a takedown in this fight. It's very dangerous to be standing across from Derek Lewis for, for 25 minutes. Um, and sometimes people who are as technical as gone don't know what to do with a wild against a wild assault. Um, you know, we can call it the Brett, the Brett Rogers factor, maybe, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> but I think if any, like this is the, this is Derek Lewis's moment and it's Cyril Gunn's moment. And this is a real bull and matador situation. And I think that what, what Gunn isn't going to lose is his composure and does, you know, like Derek Lewis hurts, he, he, he hurts guys, but then he, what happens is he hurts them badly except for, you know, Curtis blades, but he hurts them. And then there's usually a couple of follow-up shots. And when one big one lands that they don't see coming, um, he's not, he doesn't have like a lot of, of like walk away KOs. Um, and I feel like, I feel like gone is going to be able, um, to do what Volkanovsky didn't Not I'm sorry. Um, what Volkov didn't, um, when he kind when he kind of like panicked, also Gon doesn't keep his chin up the way that um, that Volkov does. Um, sometimes he got caught with his head straight up. I I really think that this in other other times when Derek Lewis has been in against um, hyper technical kickboxers, um, even guys like G- he lost to JDS, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, if he's like, is he that much better of a fighter than the guy that lost to JDS? Like. Yeah, I, I do think, think he is. I think he's improved from there. Yeah, I really do. Yeah, I think yeah. he's improved, but but Cyril Gon's a lot better than that version of JDS. He might oh, not agree, hit, no He might not hit as hard, but he's a ferocious athlete who's got terrific cardio, who can take, who I think can take a shot, uh, and who's who's smart and measured. 
And I think um, I think he's going to irritate you know Derek Lewis. I also think that Gon has as dangerous as Lewis's uh, fists are and his ground as pound is. Cyril Gon's body kick. I think he's going to be. I think he's going to be liver hunting, and that there's a good chance he ends this fight in the second round with a, by when he finds Derek Lewis's liver. I think he a kicks. body shot is a pretty good call. Especially with Derek Lewis kicks, being folded over like six he, times in the UFC. Yes, and Gon kicks so hard, and I think, yeah, I, th- I think that's, I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's the move. He may do it in the clinch with a knee first. I don't know, but I think Cyril Gon's a very, uh, very sharp guy, and that he's going to do good body work in this fight. I, I think he'll get Derek Lewis out of there in the second or third round with it. The longer it goes, the more worried I get, though. The more worried I get that that you know gon falls into the trap yeah i'm not as confident in gon finishing the fight i mean i think he has all the skills to finish uh, i'm not i mean i'm you know i'm i'm making a, a wild prediction i think that's got like a if I, I think that's it's like about a plus 1500 chance of happening i'm just I'm, i just could i can visualize it though well yeah i mean you were pretty specific so it's totally like it's probably a lot a lot I'm worse calling my, than i'm that calling for that i'm calling my shot yeah uh, no i do like it and it's, it's the kind two, of thing that if it, minutes if it and happens, 12 seconds into the third <laughs> If it happens, you look like a genius. If it doesn't happen, everybody forgot you said it, except that we're still talking about it. So I, I can see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so here's the thing. Lewis, we all know, super athletic for 265. Appears to be in the best shape of his fucking career going into this one, which he should be, right? Fast and powerful with the strikes, but can have low output at times. He prefers to counter if he gets uh, his choice, right? And he only really gets aggressive if he hurts an opponent or if an opponent has held him down for a while and he has a chance on his feet again and just explodes and goes forward, um, which I'm, I'm not sure if those things can happen with Gone in all likelihood, right? He can be taken down. He actually um, gives up one of every two takedown attempts on him, right? 50% takedown defense, not really very good, especially for heavyweight where there aren't a whole lot of high-level uh, wrestlers, usually opponents get tired taking him down, right? They get tired holding him down. And that's how he gets his late knockout is on a tired opponent who is too tired to actually defend. Um, Gone is extremely technical, uh, likes to stay at kicking range, switches stances, but mostly works from southpaw. Really only gets tagged when he comes in with his hands. I feel like his boxing is the weakest part of his game, but he rolls well with incoming punches. Um, looks to likes to mix up low kicks, body kicks, and head kicks to keep his opponent guessing. And I think, like you mentioned, that could be a good uh, kind of thing to do against Lewis. What's very unusual, gone is that he's very light on his feet with solid footwork, and you don't see 205 pound or 250 pound or even 185 pound guys that that have that ability. Um, as BJJ has looked slick so far, um, he has as many submissions as, as, as he has basically wins in MMA, or maybe one more now. He's more submissions than he has knockouts, even though he's a stand-up fighter in the UFC, at least. Um, look, this is a bad style matchup for Lewis on paper. Gone is taller, faster. He's more technical, has more weapons, has the defense to avoid most big shots from Lewis. Also seems to have the chin to take a handful if he needs to, right? I think he picks away at Lewis from the outside. If he targets the body, a finish is possible. Um, like you said, since Lewis doesn't take body shots well, if not, this could be a five-round decision at a kind of a tepid pace. The pacing all depends on Lewis, really. I think Gon is not going to take the risk of just going straight forward. And Lewis, we've seen in matchups where he's not fighting aggressive opponents that he can have a boring fight, too, like we saw with Nganu. Prefers to counter, as we saw uh, as we saw in that one, right? So if Lewis doesn't incorporate some forward offense, he will get out-jabbed and out-kicked at a distance. I think he will end up trying to explode starting from the third or fourth round if he has no success until now, then. This is a home, uh, but this is also a hometown fight for him, right? 
That's right. He will definitely have the support of the crowd. That's a that could be a factor here in the in the he bigger really case. He is he is someone that really feeds on that. I think. Yeah, but 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 here's the thing, Gon has never been taken down in the UFC, right? He has never allowed an opponent to attempt a submission. He has outstruck most of an opponent, most of his opponents, two to one, three to one, and even five to one in some cases, right? He scores submissions and knockouts. He's also shown the maturity and the athleticism to go 25 minutes if he needs to. I think we're dealing with like a one in a million type of heavyweight, which is why I hope he gets the win this weekend and we can see him fight Francis Ngannou, who like in his own ways is a one in a million heavyweight. So I, I think that'll be a fascinating matchup. All the dynamics of them having trained together, it'll all be interesting. But if Lewis can pull off getting dominated early and then coming back with a huge knockout again, all bets are off, man. This could be a, the, the, this could go in one of two very interesting ways. And in either case, I will be excited to follow it. Nikolai, uh, I think it's a good pick. Uh, honestly, I, I don't think you made it at a bad time. My second pick is going to be Johnny Munoz to beat Jamie Simmons. Simmons made his debut against Chika Chikadze. It is not like on literally a couple days notice and Chika is way bigger at a weight division up. So not his like best case scenario, right? Um, this is actually a rescheduled fight from a few months ago. Munoz should be able to get a submission here unless the fight goes deep and his cardio fails him, like it did in his UFC debut to Nathan Manis. So like it's very possible, right? Simmons, Simmons had the uh, debut against an elite striker and now he's facing kind of an elite grappler. So it's kind of tough breaks, man, but this is the fight game. I um, yeah, I I'm with you on that. This uh, this and like the rest of the card is all virtually pickums. It's tough stuff. Yeah, I agree. I it's tough um, I'm gonna listen. I was not that impressed with Jessica Penny's return fight, even though she got a split decision victory, and even though Karolina Kowalkiewicz has not been on the good side of things in a very long time, she was never getting outclassed by um by lower level competition. And I, I just think that if, unless she's really truly has nothing left in the tank, um, you know, a woman who has a win over Rosanama Yunus, um, and some other good competitive fights before she fell apart against top, top, uh, contenders should be able to outstrike Jessica Penny and like get her first victory in, you know, a really long time in probably like what, three years or something. So you think KK takes this, huh? This is kind of a contenders of days past fight. Like both of them have fought for the title. Both of them yeah. arguably earned their way there. I guess Jessica Penny benefited from like a, a, a starving division that was just getting started. Um, but they're kind of trying to stay relevant after, after for Jessica Penny, a big break and a bit of a losing streak. Jessica Penny came back and, and scored a win over an opponent that like, didn't have the 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 craft, the maturity, or the fight IQ. It seemed like to to win a fight, you could have been able to win, right? At their prime, in their primes, Kowalkiewicz was the better fighter, but since she got, uh, I think it's called Hashimoto's disease, she hasn't been the same. Penny's kind of a jack of all trades uh, with her I strength. Didn't know she ha- I didn't know that she had an actual disease. Yeah, we actually spoke about it at the time. I think I brought it up on the podcast uh, the last time she fought a year and change ago. Um, Penny is like a jack of all trades, and her strength is, I guess, in the grappling department. If anything, I, I think Penny. I'm gonna pick Penny. I'm probably gonna like. I have no conviction about this. She hasn't yep. been diagnosed. If she like because she hasn't been diagnosed with a debilitating disease that causes fatigue and sluggishness and muscle weakness and depression. Um, just because of that, because I know she stayed in the MMA scene. I know she's been training with Angela Hill and the crew in Las Vegas. So like, she's presumably improved. And I saw some of that, I guess, in her last UFC fight. 
I'm going to take her because I it's hard to trust KK at this point in her career, man. Mentally and physically due to this disease, she's just not the same person. My next pick is going to be in the Miles Johns Anderson Dos Santos matchup. Anderson Dos Santos has a lot of craft, we, a lot of experience. Wait, didn't, didn't we pick this one a couple weeks ago? We did. It, it ended up getting canceled last minute. Okay. Um, Dos Santos has some solid grappling, plenty of experience to kind of drown the less crafty opponents. But Miles Johns will lead him, I think, with his jab. Um, he should be fine from top position as the better wrestler. So I'm taking Johns by a wide uh, decision unless he can land a bomb and finish late. So you've got Miles Johns. Big and Miles Johns. Got it. Yeah. So nothing changed there. No. All right. Let's uh, see what also, else. Also, wasn't got it like going. Anderson Del Santos that pulled out because of COVID or something? I feel like he's Brazilian. He must have had COVID, right? That's yeah, I works. think that's. I don't make the rules. I think that's a. I think that's a fair assumption. Um, listen, I'm the. I'm a. I'm the world's probably the world's biggest Ed Herman fan. Um, but I think as much as much as I like him and as crafty as he is, and he is on a three fight win streak somehow, he should have lost that fight to slow Mike Rodriguez. Um, that was, you know, that was very, that was very weird. And I think Alonzo Menafield is exactly the kind of fighter that Ed Herman is going to have, uh, trouble with. He's, you know, he's, he's big, has great, has reach, he's athletic. Um, and he's got, you know, and he's, and he's got some pop and he can get some weird ass submissions. Um, I think I, I just, I have questions about Herman's durability at this point. And he took a lot of damage in that, um, in that fight against Mike Rodriguez before, you know, he got the, the fake low blow. If that's, if that's what I, yeah, it was a fake low blow. And then he ended up getting a, a Kimura against a guy who, who tends to lose his composure. Um, right. You know, losing against Devin Clark, not great. Uh, getting knocked out by OSP also not great, but it happens. I mean, OSP is kind of freak athletic and large. He's kind of his own version of Alonzo Menafield. Um, but is that I OSP's just, like only win in the last several years, Nick? In the last twenty-three years, that's be. OSP's. Twenty-three years, um, jeez, Nick. No, I'm. Kidding. <laughs> Remember when OSP main evented like that? He had he main evented a bunch of Strike Force cards, and then he main evented like. How U, about a pay per view against Nashville? John Jones? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, Interim title. You got me looking. You, you know, I saw. I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna talk about records, but um, he lost to Tanner Bozer. <laughs> no, you could talk about his opponents. He's fought John real Mahal people. Hill. Yeah, the last. No, the last one. Last time he won before that was September 2019 against Mikal. And you're gonna make me say the fucking name. Oleg Shishuk. Miguel Oleg Shishuk. And then he lost to Krylov say- and Dominic Reyes. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. And and here's the thing. It makes sense to mention his record. He's fought some some people we've heard of, but yeah, he's just not been the same. So I don't know if like losing to him is a good sign. But give me your pick, buddy. Who you got? Oh, it's not a good sign. But he got he just got caught with a really huge shot. But Ed Herman doesn't. Yeah. Ed Herman's got some pop, but not not like OSP pop. I don't think so. I'm gonna Definitely I'm gonna go with I'm gonna that's like OSP. I'm gonna go with Alonzo. Uh, he's not as explosive for sure. Uh, I'm gonna go with Alonzo Menafield to overwhelm um, short fuse. Again, who I like. I'm a bigger fan of his overall, um, but I think I think, men, I think men, this is a Manifield kind of get right fight. Yeah, I think Herman will have trouble keeping up with Manifield's athleticism and his takedown defense unless Manifield gasses out 
or like walks into the clinch with Herman, where Herman has some pretty nasty knees and uppercuts. Uh, both very possible, but I'm picking Alonzo to pick up a fun and sometimes sluggish decision here. Uh, my next pick is going to be in the Manel Cup versus Ode Osborne matchup. Osborne is pretty good, one and one in the UFC, like hasn't fought anybody really very high level. Cop is like, he's a tricky guy. He's like a tiny Bobby Green. He talks shit in there, has really good hands, good boxing, right? Um, hittable, though, very hittable. Good wrestling offense, but he can get stuck on his back by a good grappler. 0 2 in the UFC, but they were both close fights against really skilled competition. Uh, he fought Leandro, uh, he, he fought uh, Pantoja and Mateos Nicolau. Also, tends to keep his output low, which I think is the main reason he lost those decisions. I think, like, Cop should be a level two up over Osborne. He has faced very high level of talent between Risen and the UFC. I think this will be a fun fight, but Cop should win this if he learned anything, anything at all from his last two UFC fights. And I'm hoping that plus the lower level of competition fight might give him the chance to stunt on Osborne if he really decides to use all of his skills. So Mano Cop for Stan. That's a, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm also going with the minus 200 favorite there. Uh, I'm going to do something I haven't done in a long time, which is I'm going to pick against Angela Hill. Uh, Ooh, love, love Angie. Um, I just think, listen, Tisha Torres already has a win over her. It's from a while ago, but in her last two fights, although against Brianna Van Buren and then Sam Hughes, uh, you know, an up like a, a rookie and another, uh, a less experienced, um, fighter doesn't necessarily have the cachet that Van Buren has, but right. Torres looks, looks, Torres looks reborn and she's intense and she's living her nickname, the tiny tornado. And I just think that even though Angie's had so many good fights recently, she lost those two bump split decisions, right? Again, the, I think you both could have gone her way against Claudia Gadea and um, Michelle Waterson, that I think that Torres has a really tough... St- I think she's I think she's a bad style matchup for Hill, worse actually than those other two women, because Torres is going to pressure, pressure, pressure. She's going to go for those takedowns. She's going to grab a leg. She's going to dirty box. She's not going to stand at distance and let and, and let Angie kick. Um She's going to she's going to be in her face and get her against the cage. And I I think I just I think Torres is going to be able to to spend enough time in top control and, you know, dropping enough ground and pound um, to probably take to take a decision, possibly a split decision. I just uh, yeah, I think that I think that she's just on an incredible momentum swing. And, you know, Angie got a little bit of momentum back with the win over Ashley Yoder. But uh, I just feel like momentum is in Torres's favor at the moment. And there's a psychology uh, yeah. of having lost to her previously, which I do think matters. Yeah, um, I, I tend to favor Angela Hill here. Tisha Torres, like she's looked rejuvenated lately, but it's against a much lower level of competition. Granted, Angela Hill is not, you know, she lost to Marina Rodriguez, Weili Zhang, Joanna Jacek, and Jessica oh. Andrade. And she's great. Right? She, just, she just has an Achilles heel, which... Which no, I, Torres, I, I was talking about to Torres. Oh, yeah. I was talking about Torres's losses. She lost oh, Torres's her losses were to studs. They were to, yeah. they were to studs, yes. And then, Mostly the same as Angie, to be honest. True, true. Uh, and then she beat Sam Hughes and Brianna Van Buren, who are UFC neophytes, right? Brianna Van Buren is a talented girl, but she wasn't ready for that Tisha Torres shit. I know that Tisha struggled with depression, which like makes makes it hard to be sure how she is at this point in her life. Is she in a good place mentally? Is she is she firing on all cylinders? Um, I'm going to edge Angela Hill because I'm a little bit biased. She's, you know, she's a local New York originally fighter. Under, yeah, I love, under, I love Angie too. She's great. 
Yeah, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with her by a close margin, but this is gonna be a super close decision. Uh, if Angie can like, here's the thing: Angie just recently won a fight against Ashley Yoder, right? In the last time they fought a few years ago, it was a competitive back and forth, and Angie dominated the rematch. Angie's definitely improved. Tisha Torres oh, yeah. mentally has not been in a great place. And I don't know that she's added a whole lot of skill, uh, except she's always been super skilled. She's always super fast, but she's small. Um, she doesn't really pressure a whole lot. I think Angie will be the one pressuring. Granted, in the bigger octagon where Tisha can move around, close matchup. I'm going to give the slightest of edges to Angela Hill, uh, mostly because I will be rooting more for her. My next pick is going to be... Hold on, where is... One second. Get your shit together, Stan. Hey, 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 hey. You've never had your shit together. Prof- Give me that kind of bullshit. What are you talking about? This is a professional show. I'm always ready with a pick. <laughs> I'm going to go with, I guess I'll pick from the Victoria Leonardo, Melissa Gatto matchup next. Here's Everyone's waiting. Everyone's waiting to hear what you have to say about this. Nick, are you, are you going to try and be clever <laughs> this entire fucking show? <laughs> no, I'm actually into it. It's very funny. Um, Leonardo's one one in the UFC coming off of a loss to Mano Fiore, so her loss is like to like a nasty human being who might just be championship material. She was an underdog of both of those fights, pretty big underdog, and and she did well, pressured her way into kind of a top position grappling, uh, beating uh, her UFC opponent in her first fight. Um, Gatto just can't get to her UFC debut after pulling out of three scheduled bouts in the last several years. She has a submission win over UFC prospect Carol Rosa, and that's like a big claim to fame, um, but she has been out for three years. Good news is that she's only 25 years old, so she has plenty of time uh, for her career, and it's hard to tell what Gato will be like after having three years to develop her game, right? Like, she's super young. Did she become just like a virtuoso in every area, or is she about the same fighter? If she's the same fighter, I think Leonardo beats her pretty decisively. I think just her offensive grappling should be enough. Her stand-up should be better of the version of uh, of Gato that fought a few years ago. Um, I think she she ends up in top position where it's relatively safe, avoids submissions, and uh, and gets a kind of a grappling pressure-based game. But again, if Gato came, comes in as like a new human being, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to predict that. So you're going with. Do you fucking listen to what I say ever? You know, you're cutting out a lot. I don't know why. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Victoria Leonardo, Nicola. That's Something's up with that feed. Don't be mean to me. Sorry. You're the one with the broken internet. Um, I actually don't know whose <laughs> side is on. Um, yeah, I'll pick Gatto just to, just to fuck with you. Um, Safe bet. Okay, we're getting down to the nitty gritty here. We got a couple of difficult fights to pick. Christ, this one's so hard. I'm gonna pick. Uh, I'm gonna pick the overall game of Casey Kenny against uh, the pop of uh, of Song Yudong. I thought that I thought that Kenny did quite well against even this version. Uh, well, against this version of Dominic Cruz, which I know is not like best Cruz ever. Kenny's a tough dude. He can do everything. And he's got um, he's got pretty bonkers output, and I think he's got I think he's got a good chin, so I just see him I just see him do, having a, a stronger overall MMA game and, and and being more you know being more active. I think I think Song Yudong is certainly in this fight. I think it's going to be a really exciting fight, uh, but I think I think that Kenny is set up for twenty nine twenty eight here. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Sadong, uh, young song. Wait, can you Yadong. say that again? I like, I like the way you say that. Can you say that, that song words again? No, yeah, not, not that. Dong, Nick. No, not that. Not that. The the Nick, you're probably right. Can you say that again? Oh, oh, that part. No, I will never repeat it as long as I live. I promise you this. Um, he is fast and explosive. Hits really hard, but he trains under Team Alpha Male, which like is a name team, but 
I think it's stunning his development. Every fighter that he fights that like is on that brink of top 10, he tends to lose to. Marlon Vera, uh, Kyler Phillips in his last matchup, right? Marlon Vera, he actually got, I think, a draw against, but he probably should have lost that fight. Yeah, he got... Um, yeah, it, it just seems like there's a certain weird. level. He has a certain ceiling, especially given his lack of... No, he got a win, under. Yeah, maybe. Um, Kenny's as well-rounded a fighter as you can get. Really good wrestling, really good Brazilian jiu-jitsu, excellent striking offense, but he's fairly hittable by fast, busy opponents, and Song can be fast and busy. Um, I agree with you on the Kenny pick um, because I think Song is somewhat limited in, in his overall fight IQ. I think also that... Kenny can get the occasional takedown right out some moments in top position before Song gets up. Song will be slower in that third round, and I think Kenny should still be a little bit faster and a little bit busier than him there. So I, I favor Kenny, but you know this is going to be this has got like the makings of a split decision written all over it. Nikolai. My next pick is two going left. to be two, pi two picks left. This is actually going to be the final one, Nick, because we uh, we have thirteen bouts on this card, so. Oh. Okay. The fight that doesn't get picked by me now will end up being kind of a filler if another fight pulls out for one of us. You feel me? I don't particularly want to feel you, but sure. <sighs> this is tough, honestly. I'm going to take Michael Chiesa to beat Vincente Luque. I've wow. underestimated Michael Chiesa for a long motherfucking time, Nick. I have not given him enough credit and picked against him in probably two or three of his last two or three fights, which were all wins. He's shown serious improvements since moving up to welterweight. Used to be kind of a lanky grappler who's athletic, but not well-rounded, decent wrestling. But his offensive, uh, his wrestling offense seems on another level now, right? And his top position grappling has been grueling and hard to get up from from for, for most of his opponents. Luke trains at Sanford MMA, solid pressure striker, kicks offensively, punches on the counter, almost never goes for takedowns, but he can't be taken taken down. He's good at getting up about a minute and a half, two minutes later, but he can be taken down. And that's that's really why I'm favoring Kiesa here. I think Kiesa should have the skill to take him down. I think he should have the skill to ride him out from top position for a good couple of minutes around. The thing is, when they're on their feet, will Luke do the kind of damage that makes Kiesa just back up and, and, and you know basically crumble against the cage? That's very possible. There's a reason this is the last uh, pick on the card, but I'm going to edge ever so slightly toward Kiesa. I'm going to watch more type. I'm going to consider this more as a chance I might change the pick, but I'm going with Kiesa as of now because of Luque's uh, medium takedown defense. Yeah, and he's a, I mean, he's a good jiu-jitsu practitioner. I think he's a, is he a brown belt? I think he's a brown belt. He might okay. be a purple belt. Yeah. yeah Not, I don't think he's a, mm -hmm. um, oh God, he's so good. And he's, he's such a, he's such a uh, fun fighter to watch, but the size of Kiesa, uh, this is a guy who fought at 155. And I don't know if you've seen the, I'm sure you have, cause they played a million times, but that Cuervo commercial where he's with Justin Gagey and you can't believe how much bigger Kiesa is. How much, yes. not just taller, but just thicker. He looks fucking massive compared to Gagey. And you're like, how did this guy fight at, at 155? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, Luke, Luke A is one of those, he's really fun. He's a terrific fighter to watch. But it's one of those things where I wonder sometimes if we're overestimating his upside by virtue of how enjoyable his fights are. Right, um, that's a good point. So... <laughs> I want. I actually prefer Luke. A. Like as a like, I, my heart is my heart's gonna be with Luke. A. I don't really have yep. anything against Michael Chiesa, um, and I'm glad that listen, a fighter who was finding him who was who's a submission guy who was finding himself tapping out in big fights to have the kind of resurgence that he's had. Like, good for him. That doesn't happen too often. Like, yep. 
he's the anti Kevin Lee, which is funny because he lost to Kevin Lee. Um, mm-hmm. But he's essentially that he Michael Kesa is the anti Kevin Lee. He figured it out. Um, and he's now he's just dominating people like like RDA and like say what you want about RDA. He's still fucking tough out and he's pretty damn good. And Kesa just completely schooled him. And I don't see any reason. Like, yeah, I, as much as I like Luke, again, he's not he's not somebody with um, we've seen him hit people a million times, but they don't like he's not he's not a um a one shot change the changes the fight kind of guy you know ask ask Brian Barberina um so my i guess my this is a real tough one to pick but i think you're probably right i think i think that um that Kiesa Maya's him prop you know gets the backpack and causes all kinds of problems just either exhausting him by leaning on him uh by having top position, by having his back, or or is able to get in there for a choke, because uh, you know it's a cliche thing to say, and I don't like it when they do it. But Michael Chiesa, one fifty five, he's a problem. Yeah, he really is. Um, I do have to say one thing that I just just made note of looking at Chiesa's record: his last three wins, Neil Mackney, Rafael dos Anjos, and Diego Sanchez, all against former lightweights. So he's like a big filled out welterweight now, fighting former lightweights. Granted, Neil Magny is not a scrawny fella. I get that, but Diego Sanchez and um, Rafael dos Anjos like ended yeah, up going but, back, I think, to 155 since the the, the fight and against Magny's, him. Magny's Magny's mm-hmm. a real welterweight, and uh, also Luque's not. Luque's but a former 155er, right? The guy he's fighting right now, Vincente Luque, has never made 155. Couldn't dream of it. So there there could be a factor there yeah. in that he's benefited from being the larger man, like you said. Neil Magny fought at 155. Yeah, man, that's that. I think that was the majority of his early UFC no, career. He he debuted at middleweight. I don't think so, man. You're out of your you're out of your mind. I'm looking this up right now. Maybe you're right. But I don't think Luke. I just I don't think Luke is that um for the weight class. So, so I think, yeah, I think it's a I think it's a concern. Um. Yeah, I mean he's a he's you know he's a guy that that choked out Benil Daryush. I mean that was a while ago, but he's he's got he's got some good scalps, and he's got Nick, and he's had some big losses where he chokes. Nikolai, the the last fight, I guess we can quickly uh, submit our picks for this one, even though neither of us are picking it for our draft, at least as of this moment. We have the matchup between Vince Morales and Draco Rodriguez. Nikolai, this is what everybody tuned in for. Tell us your prediction. No, I'm not going to tell you. No. <laughs> uh, my prediction on this one is, let's see, fuck, I'm gonna go with Morales. Cool. Um, what do you what do you got? What's your breakdown? I I think that Draco has what it takes to exploit Morales's weaknesses, especially when it comes to Vince's lack of like what? kick defense. He's, aller- he's, aller- he's allergic to onions. What leg kick defense. Le- okay. Leg kicks. He Thank doesn't you for do being well specific. with kickers. I know. I wanted just... to know. I wanted to know yeah, if you yeah. knew. No, no, oh, I'm sure you knew it. But Draco was okay. just knocked out by a big right hand, and Vince has power in his right hand. Draco hasn't taken enough time off, so I can see his chin being tender. But uh, I'm, I'm going to choose Draco because I think he's more explosive, more athletic. I think I think his striking should be on par overall, but he's got the takedown options. Um, I, I just think he's more well-rounded, despite the fact that he's on top yeah. of the fact that he's, he's more coming, And that was a pretty bad KO, and he's coming back six months later, the great, the great uh, Dracolini is. 
both these guys are coming off fucking rough losses, man. Yeah, the, yeah. The leg really kick are. TKO from Gutierrez just yes. brutalizing. From Morales, both, yes. Yeah, this is this is two, this is two guys who just got completely shot up in their last fight. Um, but I think we actually think, have like a handful of fights that we disagree on on this card, Nick. I think that makes it all the more interesting. Yeah, you'll probably win because you're more handsome and more successful in life. But that's cool. You made better choices. Um. I mean, my wife made a good choice in my favor, but that's about it, motherfucker. She was like, "I'll pick you," and I was like, "Yes, yes, that 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 would that that would be wonderful." That's that's how I know you're smart. There you go. Um, so next week, Nick, I assume we don't have anything big, especially after a pay per view. Oh, for the record, Musasi is main eventing for Bellator next week, and wait for it, Rory McDonald's against uh, McDonald against Ray Cooper. Not the first, not the second, Nick. The final one, the third Ray Cooper. Um, more Rory McDonald, who just got who just got teabed in his last fight. Are you talking shit about my boy Rory? I love Rory McDonald, but he lost the decision to Gleason Tebow in his last fight. That is true. That, that, that's pretty bad, considering that's the one man that arguably beat Khabib did not deserve. It's almost like the MMA gods were like, "Here, we'll do you a solid for that Khabib fight, Tebow. We're gonna give you a big win at like 42 years old, even though we're pretty sure you've been in your 40s for like 10 years now." Um, UFC Fight Night Gastelum versus Cannoneer. Uh, let me let me look at this thing. Let's see if there's anything. The main event's pretty good, I think. Let's see if there's anything else. Um, Pantoja versus Royval. That's a good fight. Yeah, a- Brian Kelliger versus Pilarte. That's an okay yeah. fight. Um, Fabio Charant. I think he's that. Didn't he get like a quick knockout on his just No, he lost to many. Play Guida versus Mark Marco Madsen is weird. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Who's Marco Madsen? Do we know much about him? Yeah, yeah, he's that he's that insanely talented uh, wrestler. I think he's Danish. Oh, that's right. He's he's still undefeated. He's still ten and zero. I could have sworn I saw this man get smashed in the third round of a fight. Uh, it's probably the other. No, Mark I think he did. I think he, I think he got. I think. No, I think he got. I think he got really tired in the third round I'm of the fight. You, and oh, I, I'm telling you, there's another Mark Matson who's also like. Uh, an old prospect who's got great wrestling, but he's already been through the ringer and he's faced like tougher competition. So he hasn't looked as good. It was against uh, Austin Hubbard, by the way, that uh, Matson didn't look good in the third round. Hubbard was piecing him up late. Um, Sasha Bolotnikov, Rahev Brahim. I mean, this is not exactly like, this is not a high level card by any means. It's basically like a bunch of people that have been on losing streaks. Let's see which of you gets to stay in the UFC. And we've had a card like this like two or three weeks ago. So yeah, a good main event, good co-main I would say a decent main card. Um, Parker Porter versus Chase Sherman will at least be entertaining, if nothing else. But outside of that, it's a pretty shitty card. Nick, uh, you going to show up for that episode, or you're going to MIM mail me again? Um, we'll see. I might have my intern do the show with you. Oh, it's like that, motherfucker. Uh, no, I plan on I plan on being there. No, I actually think your intern would do a much better job. I think we should do this. Oof. I've never met your intern. I've heard nothing about him or her. I have no idea if your intern has ever heard of mixed martial arts, but. I have a I have a feeling, Nick. I have a gut feeling. No, it's you'd, you'd like him. He's he's like ten years younger than you, and he's a successful Uzbek uh, kickboxer. Well, I'm not technically. I guess I could be. I don't know. I'm more of a Soviet than Uzbek, but I'm into it, Nick. Yeah. If you got Muradov, if you've got Muradov, who's on tap for this podcast, I didn't realize he spoke much English, but I'm down, Nick. That... Mahmoud Muradov is home <laughs> to Frank, by the way. It was. It's not him. Oh, I thought. Um... So. You described him. I figured maybe it was Mahmoud no, Who, by the way, is a prospect at 185 pounds um, in the UFC's middleweight division. Hey, boy, let's call this a rat. I gotta go like shower. I gotta. I gotta-